Please take out your Bibles tonight and turn to the third chapter of the Gospel of John. John, the third chapter. Important to take out your Bibles, even if you can quote the entire chapter. I want to show you something tonight. John, chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we find one of the most often quoted scriptures known to man. We all know what it is. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. But John 3 is also where we find what seems to be one of the least quoted least known and least understood scriptures in religious circles as well. And it's kind of ironic because the one that seems to be the least known and the least understood and the least quoted is the one that actually explains in greater detail the whole sinner's salvation response involved in John 3.16 but it's seldom ever mentioned. John 3.16, without this other verse in John that we're going to mention and look at in depth tonight, is like a new car with no motor. It won't get you anywhere. It won't take you where you want to go, and it especially will not take you up the straight and narrow path home. If we take John 3.16 by itself, and we completely alienate it from this other verse that we're going to look at, John 3.16 won't take you home. It's like a car without a motor. John 3.16 says, as we have quoted, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. However, neither the third chapter of the book of John, the gospel of John, nor the rest of the Bible regarding salvation stops there. So, how does that very same Word of God, in that very same divinely inspired chapter, chapter 3 of John, define that very same belief which is essential to eternal life? I'm going to read it to you first out of several strictly literal translations, then we'll get to the King James and the New King James. That verse is verse 36. John 3 and verse 36 helps to explain further John 3.16. Listen carefully. John 3.36 in the American Standard Version reads as follows. He that believeth on the Son hath life, but he that... Now you'd think the next word would be believeth not. It says he that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, but he that... You'd think it would say, believeth not, but that's not what it says in the American Standard. It says, he that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, but he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The New American Standard Version says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son he who believes, the Son has it, but he who does, and you think it would say does not believe, but it doesn't say this, it says he who believes has eternal life, and he who does not obey 
the Son shall not see life. And finally, the English Standard Version, same thing. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You know what I'm getting at, don't you? In the Word of God, belief and obedience are the same thing. Now, the King James Version and the New King James Version do not differentiate. However, even though the King James and the New King James both use a form of the word believe in John 3.36 in that sentence, they both bear out in many other places that belief and obedience are the same thing in the eyes of God and in the word of God. They bear out in many other places that to believe in Christ is to obey him as Christ. And that's something that so much of the religious world misses. To believe in him as Lord means to obey him as the one with all authority and sovereignty. And if you don't obey him, that means that you really don't believe he's God. Listen, how can we believe that God has all authority? Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He has all power. He has all authority. He meant every word he said. And then just flippantly say, but that's okay. I don't have to do what he said. See the contradiction? If you truly believe that he is the son of God, that he has all authority, then you're going to obey him. You dare not do anything different. Isn't that right? And so, we would see this concept again and again in the scriptures, belief and obedience being inseparable. For example, turn to me in your Bibles to Luke 6. To believe him is to obey him. But to not obey him, really, in biblical terms, is not to believe him. Luke, no matter what version you're using, chapter 6, beginning at verse 46, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? And that's a great question. You work somewhere. You go out to get a job, you work somewhere. And your boss comes in, he tells you how the job needs to be done. The word Lord means boss or controller. And Jesus is saying, why do you call me the boss if you're not willing to do things the way your boss told you to do them? That's what Luke 6.46 is saying. Why do you call me your Lord if you're not willing to do what I said and submit to me because you said I was Lord, so, but you're not acting like it. And he goes on to explain in the following verses, verse 47, he says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the, the stream beat vehemently against that house, could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing, it's like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Did you notice in both of those cases that they heard the word? You notice in both of those, they heard, but one did something with it. One obeyed the word. And if you hear the word and you believe it's from God and you obey it because you know it's from God, then that gives strength to the house that you're building. In other words, belief in Jesus as Lord and obedience to him as the one sovereign king are one and the same. One without the other is impossible. It's like saying, okay, I want the word of God, but not the Bible. Is the word of God the Bible? Yes. Are the word of God and the Bible inseparable? You can't have one without the other. If you get one, you got the other. In the Bible, belief and obedience are the same way. They're inseparable. If you truly believe, you've got to obey. 
This is why Hebrews chapter 11 tells us the following. I'm not going to turn there, just, just the synopsis. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, by faith, because of their belief, they obeyed. Stop and think about it. Hebrews 11. Abel offered. Enoch pleased. Noah built. Abraham obeyed. Abraham offered. Isaac blessed. Jacob blessed. Joseph taught. Moses' parents hid. Moses chose. Moses forsook. The Israelites encircled. And Rahab received, and etc. The whole great Heroes Hall of Fame, chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, these people did what God told them to do because they believed he was God. Belief without obedience is disbelief. Now, tonight I want to take a, a good look at that from another book. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 3. We're going to spend the lion's share of the rest of the lesson in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, would you please? Nowhere is this made clearer, and I preach this lesson tonight. One reason is that probably the majority of us have friends who are religious in some form or fashion who say that all they've got to do is believe. Tonight's lesson is to help you to reach them. See a lot of people taking notes. That's good. Belief and obedience are inseparable. That's not just our opinion. That's not just our take on the scriptures. I'm going to show you several passages where belief and obedience are, are interchangeable. They're one and the same in the eyes of God. Let us begin in Hebrews 3, verse 12. We'll move down through into the fourth chapter. Hebrews 3, 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Let's take a moment, examine the verse, then we'll move on. What is... As far as this passage in the Word of God says, this specific passage, what is an evil heart? An evil heart is an unbelieving heart, according to this passage. And what does an evil, unbelieving heart do to you? It leads you to depart from the Lord or to fall away from the living God. And notice the second word, at least in the New King James, beware brethren. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those people like I'm talking to tonight who have heard the gospel, they have believed the gospel, they've believed in the Son of God, they've made the good confession, they've repented of their sins, and they have been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They are brethren in Christ. He's not talking to ungodly, unknowledgeable people. He's talking to brethren. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Yes, a Christian can fall from grace. Verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We are not to encourage each other just on Sunday and Wednesday, but every day, daily, as much as we can, encouraging one another. This is what will prevent us from having our hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin so that we fall away. This is very similar to the lettuce instruction from the writer of Hebrews that we covered this morning in Hebrews 10, 24, and 5, where it told us not to forsake the assembly. It said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is very similar to that. Verse 14 of chapter 3. For we have become 
partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. This is unlike ancient Israel. They did not hold fast to the promises of God. Continue on with me, verse 15. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now watch this carefully. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those, watch this, who did not obey? Stop right there. Look at me, don't look at your Bibles. I won't often say that, but I'm saying it right now. Don't want you reading ahead. Don't spoil this. Why were certain people not going to enter the promised land according to verse 18? Because they did not, did not obey, right? That's what the text says in verse 18. They weren't going in because they did not obey. But look at verse 19. Now you can look. <laughs> so we see they could not enter in because of their disobedience. That's not what it says, is it? It says they couldn't enter in because of their what? Unbelief. Well, the verse before said they couldn't enter in because they were disobedient. So which one's right? Both of them. Why are both of them right? They're both right because disobedience and disbelief are inseparable. Belief and obedience are the same thing, according to God's definition. They could not enter in because they did not obey, verse 18, so we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief, verse 19. Chapter... Chapter 4 shows that the Sabbath rest of Old Testament Israel was merely a shadow or symbol of the eternal rest that we will have if we believe in and are obedient to Jesus Christ. Let's look at chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, and we know what the therefore is there for, right? Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, here's our lettuce again, lettuce, fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although, their works, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Stop right there. Verse 3. <coughs> It is by faith and belief that we get to enter, right? Because they didn't get to enter because they didn't have faith. So we do get to enter his rest because we have faith. So, that means that a lack of faith is what caused them not to enter. Very simple. By faith we enter, that means lack of faith, we don't enter. Right? Not quite. The Bible says they didn't enter because of, uh, because of disobedience. Look down to me in verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. So wait a minute, writer of Hebrews. You just said that they didn't have faith, they didn't have belief in verse 2. Now you're telling me it's disobedience. Which is it? Both. Why? Because belief and obedience are the same thing. Same thing. We see it again if we read down through verses 7 through 10. 
Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David today, after such a long time as it has been said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Verses 7 through 10 show us that the Old Testament Sabbath rest, again, was just a symbol of the eternal rest that the faithful in Christ have to look forward to. And verses 7 through 10 explain that once we get there, then we will rest from our works. But until then, until then, we must believe in him enough to obey him if we want to be with him forever. Because if we don't believe him enough to obey him, we ain't going to be with him. Because belief and obedience is the same thing. This isn't in my notes, but have you ever had somebody say to you, that's not a salvation issue? Not a salvation issue. People today excuse everything. Well, it's not a salvation issue. I'm going to tell you tonight real quick what a salvation issue is. It's not matters of opinion. Those are not salvation issues if it's a true matter of opinion. But I'll tell you what a salvation issue is. You ready? A salvation issue is anything that God has said something about. Because faith in God means I believe whatever God, if God said don't do this, well, that's not a salvation. Yes, it is. Because if you don't do it, when God says don't do it, that shows faith. If you do what God said to do, that shows faith. But if you don't do what God said to do, that shows you don't have any faith. And without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A salvation issue is anything God has spoken on yea or nay. Because we must trust what God said. Now, while it is true that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, John 3.16, should not perish, certainly those who refuse to accept the fact that belief without obedience will not save anyone, those people will perish. This is proven repeatedly in the scriptures. For many years, the scariest verses in the Bible, to me in the New Testament anyway, have been Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, you know the passage, right? Haven't we prophesied and driven out demons, done many works in your name, and then I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Why? Why are these people who have been able to do these amazing things not going to be with Jesus? The answer is in verse 21, because they did not do the will of my Father. They did good things, they didn't do God's will. Is it possible to do some good things with the wrong intention? Sure. It's possible to do some good things that are not necessarily God's will what we term good. The fact that belief without obedience won't save anybody is proven again. Very simply, you want one verse? James 2.19. Even the demons believe. If belief alone is enough to get you into heaven without doing what God told you to do, if belief alone is all it takes, then there's going to be a whole slew of demons in heaven because they all believe. Not only that, but some religious people will tell us that all you've got to do is believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. Did you know the demons confessed that Jesus was Lord? They did. When Jesus confronted 
the one that was possessed with demons. The demon knew that it was Jesus. He confessed him. He said, I know who you are. Demons believe, James 2.19, and they shudder. They don't obey, they shudder. Why do they shudder? Because they don't obey. And they know that without obedience, they ain't going. Belief and obedience are the same thing, folks. One without the other is impossible. For when God's word says something, we prove our belief or disbelief, not by what we say, but by whether or not we obey. This is what separates the saved from the lost. This is it. What separates the saved from the lost, according to God, the God who sees it all through his word and is there to help us when we fail, Hebrews chapter 4, 12 through 16. The dividing line is, do we believe him enough to obey him? To claim I believe in Jesus but not be willing to do what he says, I don't really believe. I convince myself I do, but I haven't convinced God of anything. Did you know that at one time Moses was an unbeliever? Did you know that? Did you know at one point that Moses was an quote-unquote unbeliever? Take a moment and let that sink in. Follow me. What is an unbeliever? One who does not believe God. How do we know when one does not believe God? Because they do not obey God. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Belief and obedience, same thing. I heard Eric make that point here the other night. Numbers chapter 20, start at verse 1 with me, would you please? Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before. Oh, you know, we just got it so bad, you know. Yes, I'm adding, sorry. Verse 4. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So, here they are. These people were always grumbling about something. God blessed them, and all they could do was grumble. It wasn't the way they thought it ought to be. Glad those days are over. Nobody grumbles anymore, right? Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will bring its water. And you should bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Keep in mind, the same thing had happened earlier in their journey, Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. Okay? It had happened earlier. Watch this. This gets real important for us today. 
Not that we need water from a rock, but follow me here. Same thing that happened earlier. This was the same Moses. This was the same staff. This was the same people. This was the same problem. No water. God's people is what I mean by that. No water. As we all know, very familiar story, in the earlier instance, God had said, strike the rock. First time, Exodus said, strike the rock, God said. And water will come out of it, Exodus 17, 7. But this time, the second time around, God said, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Not strike it, but speak to it. Now, here's the question. The second time around, same situation, God said he wanted it done differently. Here's the question. Did Moses, the second time around, have the right to strike the rock? Did he? This means yes. This means that we'll get this. We will. Did Moses, the second time around, have the right to strike the rock? I like him. He's, gonna, he's shaking hard. No, he didn't. Let me ask you another question. Second time around, did Moses have the right to both speak to and strike the rock? No, that was not authorized. Why? Because God said the second time around, speak to the rock. Was that hard to understand? We got any kids in here that are under five? Raise your hand. Under five. Under ten. You understand if I say speak what I mean, right? Very simple. Child, can I speak to the rock? Okay? So, striking this time would therefore be a sin, wouldn't it? Would striking be a sin this time? Yeah, because God says, I don't want it the way you did it the first time. My paraphrase. I want you to speak to it, Moses. Struck it the first time. Speak to it this time. Therefore, to strike at this time, or to both speak to and strike, is a sin because it wasn't authorized. He said, speak. Striking would be a sin this time because it's not authorized, even though that's what was commanded the first time. Why am I making such a big deal? Doug, why are you making such a big deal of this? I'll tell you why I'm making such a big deal of this. I want us to stop and think about, for a moment, how this applies to instrumental worship music, okay? Under the old covenant, the first time around, was it okay to strike or to pluck the strings of an instrument? Was that okay under the old covenant? The first time around, was worship music okay to be striking or plucking? Was that okay with God? Absolutely, appears to be what I read in the Old Testament. But the second time around, meaning the second covenant, meaning the new covenant that we're under, you know what God said about music? <clears throat> Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The second time around, God said, Speak! Moses, God commanded strike the first time, but when he says speak, striking becomes a sin, right? Instruments. Had this discussion in part a little this afternoon. When God says the second time around, speak 
Doesn't matter if he let, let them strike the first time. Doesn't matter if they, that doesn't matter. When God says speak, you don't have a right to add striking to it. You don't have a right to strike the instruments, strike the strings, instead of speaking. When God says speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you best be speaking. But what happens if I strike instead? What happens if I want music, instrumental music? Well, let's see what striking got Moses when he sought to do for the second time around what he had done the first time around. What was okay the first time around when he tried it the second time around, what happened, Moses? When you were commanded to speak and you decided to strike like you did the first time. Verses 9 through 12. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. Water came out abundantly. Congregation of animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Remember I told you Moses was an unbeliever, quote, unquote, at one point? Look at this verse. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me. How do we know Moses didn't believe him? Because Moses didn't obey him. God said speak. Moses struck. Therefore Moses didn't believe God. To hallow God in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Ouch. The scripture says in that passage, Moses and Aaron didn't believe God. We know that because they didn't obey God. Someone may say, yeah, but certainly Moses and Aaron believed in God. Not at this point, according to God, verse 12. Not at this point. They apparently didn't on this one issue. They apparently didn't. Now, now maybe according to men... Moses and Aaron believed, but according to the word of God, at this point, in this instance, they didn't. And guess what? God's the only one that counts. Is that right? You're going to answer to men on Judgment Day? You're going to answer to God. I'm going to answer to God, and so are you, according to the Bible. According to God, believing in him means upholding him as holy before others. Remember that, those of you that are going to Tri-State next week. Why did God say, you didn't believe me, and hallow me. Here's why. You want to glorify God? Do you want to show that your God is holy before others? Then obey Him. Show the world by your submission that your God is the Lord God Almighty. Prove by your actions that you believe Him, that you trust Him as God, because you're willing to do anything He says any way He says to do it. That's what belief is, brethren. We let him be Lord. Moses didn't do that here. Moses struck what he should have spoke. He thus sinned. That revealed his lack of faith in the eyes of God, and it cost him mightily. He did not enter the promised land. Some people today, you may have heard the charge, they say, well, you know, you people in the Church of Christ, you know, you believe in salvation by works. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't believe in salvation. I do not believe we can ever work hard enough to earn our way into heaven. I don't believe that. Don't believe any of you do either. If you do, talk to me after. We need a Bible study. 
Because I don't believe in salvation by works. You can never work enough, do enough. Once that first sin is on your record, it's going to take the grace of God and the perfect blood sacrifice of Jesus to get off. And nothing you do is going to erase it on your own without God. I don't believe in salvation by works. But I'll tell you what I do believe. I believe in salvation by grace, through faith. What does that mean? That means that God extends his grace to me and he makes that grace available in a certain place. And if I have the faith to believe him and obey him, I can access that grace where he's put it. I do believe that. I also believe that faith without works is dead, just like God said in his word, James 2, 24 through 26. Faith without works is dead. I can never earn my way to heaven by good works, but I am saved by the grace of God through my faith when I respond and do what God said because I trust him and receive his grace. I am saved to do good works. Ephesians 2.10, Titus 2.11-14. I believe that belief and obedience are inseparable, do you? that saying that you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God without trembling and seeking to obey and submit to his every word as the ultimate, perfect, flawless, all-authoritative, sovereign and king, if I'm not willing to do that, I don't truly believe that's who he is. I only submit to those in higher authority. And if I don't submit, I don't believe he's Lord. What I want you to understand as we get ready to conclude, conclude is this. Don't miss this. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12. Belief without obedience, even for the great man of God, Moses, is considered to be unbelief by God. And it can keep even the most godly of men out of the promised land just as it kept Moses out because he did not believe God enough to speak when God told him to instead of striking the way he told him to before. Question for you tonight as we close. According to the word of God, according to God's word, not your emotions, not your feelings, according to God's word, if your life were to end tonight, are you absolutely sure you'd go to heaven? Think about that. We had a lady in Cleveland come in one Sunday morning, healthy as the rest of us, walked in, shook my hand, gave me a hug, actually picked up her bulletin at the door. She came in, good sister, been a sister in Christ probably for five decades. She came in, just great, sweet lady, just wonderful. Give me a hug, listen to lesson Sunday morning. Left the building, you know, Sunday afternoon. It was an Easter Sunday, if I, if I recall correctly. Went out, you know, everything's fine. Walked out of here just like we're all going to walk out of here in just a few minutes. That Sunday night, before midnight, she was dead. Are you sure, absolutely sure tonight, according to God's word, that if you left this earthly life tonight, you'd go to heaven? Do you understand that there is a whole lost world of difference between simply saying you believe in Jesus and actually being defined by God as a believer because you have humbly submitted to and obeyed what he said? Notice John 3 where we started. 
Watch this. You don't need to turn back there. John 3.16, we all know. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You shouldn't perish. But notice that's in the center of the chapter. The end of the chapter, over in verse 36, explains that true belief in him, John 3.16, true belief is to obey him. So we got the middle of the chapter, we got the end of the chapter. What about the beginning of the chapter? To believe him is to obey him if we want eternal life. What did he say in the beginning of John 3? He said, unless you are born again of the water and the spirit, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Did he mean it? He meant it. Do you believe him? Do you believe him enough that you've obeyed him? and been born again of the water and the Spirit by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins in water. Acts 2.38, see the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you really believe him? The only biblical answer is only if you obey him and do that. And once you've done that, if you live to the best of your ability, letting him be Lord, Becoming a Christian, does, becoming a Christian, yes, let me start over. Being a Christian is a lot more than being baptized. It's a daily life of following the Lord. And not just with my lips, but trusting him enough to do what he said, because belief and obedience are inseparable. If you are here tonight, you need to be baptized into Christ. You need to be born again with water and the Spirit. Or if you're here and you've already done that, do you realize tonight this is part of your life that because of your belief, you need to be more obedient. You need the prayers of the church. If we can help you with either one of those things right now, please come to the front. We'd love to pray for you or help in any way we can as we stand and sing.